0: I'm Gilly.
1: And I'm Josh Reyes.
0: We are very passionate about understanding what Revelation says, and we think we can do it, right?
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I, we feel that like we can share mm-hmm. what God wants for us, and then hopefully if anyone gains from that, great.
0: And we have some uh, basis to make that claim. Even in uh, in the beginning of the book, the first blessing talks about uh, blesses the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things or understand the things that are in here. Personally, I take that to say that this thing is not super cryptic and sealed and difficult to understand, but rather that there is a blessing there and if you take the time to study and try to understand, you can do it.
1: Right, Right. which I think is our our goal because Mm -hmm. we both talked about it earlier and we grew up with this very, it is cryptic. It's kind of like, well, who understands it? And so a lot of people kind of move on past it. And the ability um, to be able to understand this and receive that blessing, I think is is amazing. The uh, revelation being... Revelation of Jesus Christ and so it's not the doomsday that we typically think about with with, at least I thought about with Apocalypse But this is a revelation of Jesus Christ what he's doing what he's done and what he's doing after sending back up to heaven
0: Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because just like you said where I grew up in Romania and the Greek Orthodox culture the title of the book is uh, Apocalypse and the word itself even in the I think in the English culture has this doomsday scary you know, kind of catastrophic connotation, much more so than the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? right. And, and in fact, from the very beginning, John, the author, is very clear that this is a revelation about and of Jesus Christ. How do you take that? Because if you read the New Testament, you have the four Gospels, you have the letters and everything else. It's very much focused on Jesus, his ministry, his life, his work, his teachings. And then at the end, here comes John, and it says, here is the revelation of Jesus. Is is there a need for more?
1: That's a good question. And I think one of the things when you're asking that question, I think about, um, there's a verse where John describes seeing Jesus. And he says, one like the Son of Man. And so like this resemblance of someone, the one that I saw before, the uh-huh. one that I walked with, the one that I talked with, I was at the Gethsemane, He saw Jairus' his, uh, daughter being resurrected, so this close, one of the three close friends that he had, so he's like, hey, he looks like my friend, <laughs> looks like this person it's I know. the same person. Right, same person. Well, mm-hmm. But now he's got this white robe, and he's got the, the gold sash, so he's he's the priest. He's wearing, yeah, he's, he's wearing, wearing the priest. high priest attire. Basically, he's got mm-hmm. the white hair with the wisdom. Mm-hmm. He's got the eyes of the fire, the bra, the brass feet. Yes, the gospels talked about who Jesus was, but 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 that kind of limits him to what his earthly body was, and uh-huh. you know where he was here. And then also now, I, in my perspective at least, is now we're seeing though what his role is as he returns to heaven. As, as the the victor.
0: Basically the focus is to extend and continue from after his resurrection and his ascension to heaven to understand what his work, what his ministry is for right. us up to the present time, to the end of time, basically, right? Right. And, yeah. and
1: now he's, in this book I was reading um, from uh, Dr. Jeremiah, the eyes of Jesus in earth this full of compassion. And not that he doesn't have compassion in heaven, but you're seeing this fire also that burns through it. And he's also judgment. Um, and so associating all that, just like extending that role, right, of, of Jesus beyond and him being our priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I thought it was also at the end, Jesus himself has explained to him, this is what the seven lamps and mm-hmm. the, and, the, and he's Jesus himself saying. So so he's trying to under, explain to his friend, John, mm-hmm. and this is what you're looking at and an application of it.
0: Right, right, because he, at the end of this first chapter, which we're going to focus on today, he actually gives him the first key, so to speak, of understanding what the seven lamps are and the stars. Briefly (coughs) and roughly, maybe we should outline the structure of this first chapter. And I think both of us would highly encourage everybody listening to this is... First, you know, pause and take take a few minutes and read that chapter yourself mm-hmm. from the Bible, right. you know. So you get fresh in your mind and you understand better what we are talking about here because we are not going to read it for you. We are just going to comment and share some of our thoughts. But roughly as far as the structure of that first chapter, what is it talking about?
1: Most of the, the other literature that I've read to support it breaks it down into yeah you have the introduction clear introduction and just how powerful it is throughout it
0: when we talk about the introduction basically is the first couple of verses or so I find that interesting he, it's a revelation of Jesus so it's it's clearly this book is all about Jesus it's Jesus centered it's it's not about uh, you know Russia or <laughs> Iran right. or right. <laughs> anything else it's about Jesus and also it's a revelation from Jesus in a sense because yeah. he he says that God gave it to Jesus who gave it to John so it's it's an interesting dynamic there you know it doesn't come from some obscure source or some secret uh, files right <laughs> it is from God It is from God. It's about Jesus and one of the terms that's used there it uses the uh, Greek term that means to signify this is a very powerful mention from the very beginning that this is a symbolic book right we're not talking about uh, literal unless it's clear that it's literal it's right. a lot of it is symbolic right right
1: which I think is partly what I think intimidates a lot of individuals mm-hmm. is because there's so much symbolism how do, that, what do we symbols? know and yeah. well then, so then I just kind of fade away and walk away from it but again if you start the book with recognizing this is a revelation of Jesus yes by Jesus to John explaining it to us then I think having just that perspective of saying I can this is this is not a scary book this is not about understanding necessarily all these there might be some cryptic stuff that I may not get symbolism, but yeah. this is good news. This is this is the ending of that gospel.
0: And along the same lines, I think as long as you keep your foundation on this understanding that ultimately it's a book about Jesus, about his ministry, you are going to be very close to understanding ultimately what's going on, even if you don't understand today. As opposed to if you think that I, I use I think I told you the story once. Uh, I used to have a roommate in medical school who bought into some of the new age currents that were popular in Romania at the time, and he came home one day and said, man, I think I can decipher revelation. So I decided, oh, let's <coughs> start it together. He said. But the way he was doing it, he had a key book that somebody wrote. And it was very outlandish. It had nothing to do with Jesus or the Bible or anything spiritual in the biblical sense. It was all New Age and, and Indian philosophy and things like that. People have done and do that, but if you go there... You basically void the purpose of the book that John specifically outlines from the very beginning. This is about Jesus, based on Jesus, based on the Bible. And this symbolism has a lot to do with with the Old Testament and even New Testament writings before Revelation. So that's where you need to go and decipher it if you want to.
1: Right. And I think as we'll talk and go through, we'll talk about more correlations with the Old Testament, how it goes Mm -hmm. through. um, And talking about the Old Testament, I have to go back to that blessed. And I think that that's a huge part. Blessed is, is the one who reads and some of them say out loud. Yes. Um, which there's something about professing what you say, not just not just believing it and hearing it, but saying it out loud. It takes it to heart, you know, having understanding mm-hmm. and, and so forth with it. One of the themes that he's constantly describing, which I think is like giving credit to the author, right, is this is the one who who is mm-hmm. the one who was and the one is to come. And in case you didn't get it later on, it's the Alpha and the Omega and again later on again the the, the one who who the, is the one who was not the, the one that first is to come. born
0: of the dead the ruler of the kings yeah. of the earth the, right. yeah
1: and so create in my opinion is creating this very warm picture of revelation and mm. not this cold intimidating thing again mm. having a warm thing i'm explaining to you about the one the same one that came here yeah. that died yeah. for yeah. us right. he lived in life he suffered and i think just having that perspective is going to make the rest of the book hopefully i think a little more peaceful and, and and give us some reassurance about that.
0: If we move on into the chapter, there's a mm-hmm. there's this section right after that blessing in, in verse 3 where, just like you anticipated here a moment ago, it brings in the whole Godhead, you know, God the Father, Jesus, the seven spirits of God, which symbolically points very strongly to the Holy Spirit, right? And it's perfect work for all the churches Mm -hmm. in all times. I think this is, uh, even though it doesn't use the word Trinity or explicitly says that Jesus is fully God, it's very clear in the way the narrative progresses into this section that John is looking at the three persons of the Godhead here And bringing them into the picture, in a very, in you know, a very obvious manner. So I don't know if you want to spend a little time on on the location and the circumstances of of that, and the time and when he. I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I when we started this, I think we were look. I was thinking not so much into that, sure. but I think it does it does help to understand where yeah, that's coming from. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was looking at was like they thought about maybe about A.D. ninety five when it happened, and then he for preaching the gospel. There was this crime mm-hmm. preaching the gospel, so he got exiled to this island. Yep. Um, and it's not a hangout island. It's it's a it's a labor and in shackles. But this is where, in the midst of this, this is where he gets his gift. Now, unlike all the uh, other apostles, he's the one that died of old age.
0: By 95, I mean think about Jesus was crucified in the early mid 30s, right? right? So right. here is 95. So that's about what another 60 years yeah, later. Right. Yeah, and apparently John was the youngest, if not one of the youngest disciples of Jesus. Right. Yes, he was probably late teenage years or right. something like that at right. the time of. Uh, uh, of jesus crucifixion so 60 years later he would have been into his 80s. so he was quite old at this time but he he's sent out by by the roman authorities a way to stop his preaching on this probably barren island and right. or maybe forced labor as you say. I came across last night some scholars Mm -hmm. criticism of this idea saying that there isn't a whole lot of historical proof that the Romans used Patmos as a prison island or a forced labor island. But regardless, I mean some of these things were used on a large scale and you can find archaeological evidence some who can say, you know, it was just a handful of folks they sent there or just John. This is a good place to send this guy. I wouldn't leave a whole lot of archaeological evidence. But you can take him at his word. He was sent there because of preaching the gospel right so some of the scholars make the case that maybe he wasn't there necessarily to be punished but he was there to preach either way that's where he was and uh, that's where he got his vision and, uh, and, he's,
1: and he's there I think things just happen obviously God who plans mm-hmm. God put him there even if people say uh, you know when I'm hearing you talk about oh well, mm-hmm. it wasn't trendy you know yeah. they, they don't yeah. see that this was a commonplace in prison right right it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because the point was God put him there because he wanted him to write and Revelation. he
0: went there and stayed there. And even the phrasing he uses on account of preaching the gospel sounds more like punishment rather than it sounds like that wasn't his first choice to go. And the early Christian writings specifically mentioned that he was punished to go there. So I think that carries more weight in yeah. general. But anyways, I'm... I'm we are we're not experts in archaeology or ancient history or anything like that. Um, and then follows this vision of Jesus, right? Which, again, at first sight sounds a little odd. If you look at, you mentioned that he comes on the clouds. He He's described as having this white hair, right? Mm-hmm. His eyes have this flaming, there's a sword, I believe. Right, there's a
1: sword, right? The tongue.
0: Yeah, so what do we make of that picture? Obviously, it's not literal. I mean, I, I think most people would recognize that. We're talking about symbolism here. Right? Or symbolism, right? And and yeah. attributes
1: re- with each one, right? Of those mm-hmm. of those things, I I do like, and I mentioned earlier, but again, I do like, and I didn't claim it before. Is someone like the Son of Man, especially if you think about? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we have some eighty-some, ninety-year-old man who still remembers though the man he knew sixty years ago, yeah. and there's some resemblance. Yeah. Now he doesn't look the same because this sure. is God. This is this, right. is, this is not Jesus. The Nazarene man who who was a carpenter, right? Yes that's that's who he was here yeah, yeah. But, but this is this is god and so saying it's someone who he looks like the son of man and, and son of man being a reference to how jesus referred to himself so it, that's important that and connection. it was
0: jesus one of jesus's favorite right. self labels or yes. ways of identifying mm-hmm. himself right and he took that like i believe it's daniel nine in that in that vision of another prophetic book of the Old Testament of the judgment in heaven, one like the Son of Man that comes to God's throne and, Mm -hmm. and is given authority and rulership so jesus picked this up intentionally from that prophecy about right. himself yes. and assumed his own title his favorite title and then john continues it and right. links it all the way to into this prophecy and this so, nice thread that it, carries it is. on. yeah it's a very nice line all the way from the old testament through the new and and to the end so um,
1: some of the the, the symbolism that, that you're you're mentioned there i think the outfit the, uh-huh. What he's wearing, yes, is 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 what a priest wears.
0: That's crucial, exactly. And along that line, we could perhaps make an analogy and say, just as the priests in the in the earthly sanctuary in the Old Testament, in the high priest, they had a the work to do, right? They weren't right. just sitting there, and they had to maintain the place. They had to bring sacrifices. They had to clean up. They had to talk to people. They had to present God's, you know, revelations to people. In the same way, Jesus, in this vision that John has of him as the resurrected, as the exalted Jesus in his Mm -hmm. heavenly work for us, is not just sitting around and chilling out. (laughs) (laughs) He's doing something, right? right? And he's very active and very involved in uh, important work that has to do with our destiny, our existence today.
1: Right, and which will, as as we progress through Revelation, that work becomes very evident. Exactly. And how not... Anyone can do that work. Only one can do that work.
0: And it's so important in that context that we do have this book of Revelation because, it again, it reveals to us what that work is and how it is relevant for us and how we relate to it.
1: Right. And then the, the white hair, uh, and a lot of what I read, you know, I think it was just wisdom. We attribute it to wisdom, experience.
0: All these features of Jesus he sees in this vision, emphasize one important characteristic of him so the hair is the white hair is the wisdom you mentioned something earlier about his his eyes the eyes were Uh, like blazing fire yeah uh that could be i'm thinking i mean uh, see what do you think i was talking to my kids the other day as humans we cannot read other people's mind you know right right. it's just impossible we can make inferences and say maybe they thought this way or that way but we can never get into somebody's head i mean there are some research right there with electrodes and (laughs) (laughs) trying to trying to guess what somebody is thinking at the specific moment but generally we can't do it on our own but god can right? right so this fiery eyes maybe is a reference to this ability of god to penetrate beyond the appearance to to burn through right and that's and that's
1: what i've read in right, a lot yeah. of things and it makes sense to me in this PowerPoint, and when you yeah. think about the moment when i myself will see christ yes I'm like yes. I, and i'm going to go to paul to be known to fully be known yes and it's like yes. wow and just yeah, exact that deep penetration ability to understand it all
0: and it also has a cleansing power to it, right? Yeah,
1: talk about feet like bronze.
0: Strength, maybe. I don't know. I guess in the in the context of the ancient world, if you went to war, or having some bronze on you maybe protected you. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I also, some of the commentaries I read were talking about authority. So he, he's okay. standing on authority, kind of just. That makes maybe, more sense. We're, we're seeing it now <laughs> through a mirror. <laughs> Someday we'll clearly. <laughs> clear. The 21st century, exactly. you know,
0: like maybe in the. In the first century, it had a bit more direct uh, meaning. And I think it's it's
1: important to to recognize that is that some of these descriptions that he uses might have been like specific. But this age has had this and and, and so this brings back to this and so forth. And so sometimes understanding that 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 may not mean much to us in our time, but it had probably a pretty clear symbolism to those individuals at that time. Uh, His voice is like rushing waters. Uh, Typically, that sounds, to me, I, I hear in waters, I think two things, I think power. Uh-huh. i think peace also mm-hmm. if you said by mm-hmm. a brook and you hear that that can be quite peaceful absolutely but also recognizing there's a lot of power there what I'm do we make iron. of
0: the sword that uh, that comes out of his uh, so is, his, mouth. Is his
1: mouth which is interesting because the bible actually is referred to his word is referred to as a double-edged sword yes so in the beginning was the word i think there's again this this kind of linear thought here that that carries on it, it doesn't break off of he speaks the word yes his voice is that double-edged sword for me at least i have to remind myself like wait a minute because he is christ he is jesus when he's speaking that is what i'm reading that's that's the word at least so maybe i don't know i
0: agree i i think that makes a lot of sense and i think the location where this is happening is also crucial especially for what happens next after this because he sees this vision of Jesus with all this uh, awesome features, but he is in a specific context, in a specific place where he sees him. He's walking or moving around that lamp uh, stands, right? Right. Which, which is a very direct reference to the Jewish tabernacle, the temple.
1: And like you said previously with, with what he's wearing, again, mm-hmm. doing something. Exactly. He's working. He's not just sitting there on the throne kicking yeah. you know doing yeah. not much he, right. he's working he's right. doing something
0: and then the chapter ends with explaining to the reader that this lamp stands and the stars that Jesus, we forgot to mention he holds seven stars in his right hand i believe right. what those are the angel the stars are the angels of the seven churches and the land are the seven churches in asia at that time so i guess one of the questions to anticipate next discussion on the seven churches and the messages sent to them what do i understand by the angels of the seven Seven churches and are those seven churches literal or symbolic?
1: I Chapter one, I think, as, as as I as I read it again, it's just there's so much beautiful writing in it. I'm really left in awe a lot when it, when you read it again, and again. In this mm-hmm. perspective of this is describing me, Jesus. He says, "When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." And so this is the guy he hung out with. This is his friend, but 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 now with like all this power around him, with the wisdom, with the voice, with the eyes, with everything. this is on an
0: entirely different and, level. And, it's like the reaction of Poor mortal humanity right. in face right. of God.
1: Which is what I think, at least for me, I can get teary yeah. about it. Because I think about it like, that's what I'm going to feel when I see Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All yeah. the quote, pain that we have and everything else. Yes. And know what he did for me. Yeah. And to look at him and have him pierce me with those eyes. And that he knows my soul. And he knows who I am. And not just who I let people see me, but like to the core. And so he falls down, right? Humanity, he, He's like, like dead. Yep. I mean, he has nothing. But then he places his right hand on me and says, do not be afraid. I mean, mm-hmm. I just to me, it's like this amazing love story. I mean, yes. it's just, it's just rather than again intimidation and fear and and, sim- and oh man, all this meaning, I don't know it. Again, he puts his hand on him and he says, "Do not be afraid," and he goes back to again, "I am the first and the last." I'm the living one. Mm-hmm. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive. It's like a mic drop. It's it's, it's like the trailer for a movie, you know. So, so it's like something yeah. is going to get you excited. Like uh-huh. this is the beginning. This is what you're about to hear. And and I think at, as we continue to evolve and go through it, and things that maybe we understand, and as we're reading different commentaries, to get better mm-hmm. understanding, have some mm-hmm. substance to what we talk about. But remembering the core basis is this is exciting. Yep. This is this is talking about Jesus and describing who he is and so don't let's not get scared Let's not get intimidated. He puts his hand on us and says don't be afraid.
0: No, I I think that that human touch, that emotional affectionate element to it right. is so important. And, and I remember now that you were saying that when I was a kid and I was hearing people talk about or even myself trying to read this thing, these were the the moments that capture my attention the most. Right. You right. Know, yeah. like, oh, man, I can identify with that. Because right. I mean, he paints uh, such a good yeah. imagery. There is a loving God who cares, who understands what you right. feel at the right. moment. Despite all that yeah. power yes. and all yes. that looking. He's there he for you. He puts his and hand on you and says, cares. don't be afraid. And he cares. And he cares. He's yeah. like, I think another important part of this first chapter is that verse 19, right, therefore, what you have seen, namely the things which are and the things which must happen after these things. Because there's a lot of, you know, one of the things that probably is appropriate in this first episode that we are doing on Revelation is to... Try to lay out the framework of interpretation for Revelation because if you go out there in the world and read books and watch videos and listen to podcasts or whatever, go to churches you can find as many frameworks and traditions and ideas and methods of interpretation as you can imagine and even more (laughs) sometimes Mm -hmm. where people say, well, everything happened in John's time. There's nothing for us there because it's the seven churches, right? And that's it. There are people who say, well, a little bit happened there, but uh, most of it will happen at the end after the rapture or tribulation. And then there are people who say, wait a minute, well, how about the 2000 plus years in between? So our approach here is following appropriately exactly the framework, that John himself lays down in this verse, and That's that good. is, he says, you know, the things that you have seen, the things that are in right. his time, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. AD 95, around that time. Right. And then he says the things which must happen after these things. Right. So it sounds to me from this statement that it's kind of a more of a continuous outlining of history from the perspective of the work of Jesus and experience of the church and his people throughout history. Right. There is no hiatus there of couple of millennia that God decided to say nothing about or right. leave it outside because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Quite the contrary, it looks like this is going to cover the whole thing, you know. And so in that, from that perspective, I think the way we're looking at this is we're trying to extract elements that may fit history. Is that, did I say that right? <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no, I agree. And, you know, and I'm just going back to chapter three when he says, because the time is near. Exactly. Again, they being, were living under this being tense relevant then. and I think in our human terms we can say 2,000 years. You know, that's such a long time. One right. is work is being done, which I think we, we get from this. He's going to explain to us the work is being done, but it is near. We we think about God coming back to the second coming and we think of always very much Revelation thinking about that also but recognizing that at least for me, when I die, the, next, the next thing that I see is going to be the white hair, the fire yeah. blazing eyes. So
0: for most of us, it's a matter of decades, not hundreds of years even, let alone right. millennia, right? right? So that's the, I think, most compelling and relevant personally
1: way to look at it. As we think about it, and I hope that for whoever listens to this, we've created some level of excitement over revelation. revelation. Like yeah. We're going somewhere. Like yes. you know, as, as far as... as John's taking us somewhere. Yes, He's going to take us to where he's already seen, and it's all exciting.
0: Absolutely. And we can't wait to delve into the next phase of this, which would be the message to the Seventh Church. Yeah. So, yeah, I look forward to to that next uh, stage of the journey. I'm excited about it. And I guess depending on the platform where people would be listening to this, some of them allow for messaging or comments. So I think it will be... Encouraging and uh, helpful if you guys wanted to send our way any of uh, your reactions or questions or comments that would be great right? yes
1: definitely with Absolutely. grace of course yes we're not experts <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll do our best to figure it out